We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. You've got to pose like an artist, right? You can pose however you want. Let's talk about a story that resonates today, even on such an absurd level as social media. A Hunger Artist by Franz Kafka. Let's talk about it. I'm such a terrible artist. I struggle with stick figures. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am not Hungry Crypto. If you are new around these parts, we take some of the most important literature that has influenced even today's writers. If you're down for a conversational approach to the literature, hit that subscribe button to join us. And as always, we start off with publication information. A Hunger Artist was published in 1922, and our version was translated by Ian Johnston. And we'll leave links down in the description below where you can listen and read for free. Now, our friend Pei has covered this as well. I will leave a link to his channel down below. But Franz Kafka, one of the most influential and important writers to have ever lived probably best known for metamorphosis many of us were uh, forced to read that as required reading in school we're looking at a hunger artist today which i guess is based on real things i guess there really were hunger artists i had no idea in the early 20th century when circuses were really big this is one of the kind of the attractions of getting people into the circus was hunger artists and these kind of outlandish ways of normal people being able to access the circus in this time period well, while I didn't know that, I do know what it means to be Kafka-esque or even what the Kafka trap is. All literary terms coming from how important and influential this artist has been. Let's jump into today's discussion with themes on art versus commodity and suffering for goodness and such. There's a lot of elements that we'll talk about that are reminiscent of what happens in Kafka's real life. And sometimes understanding the author, you're able to pull a little bit more out of the story to understand what maybe the purpose is or a specific view that this could possibly be. For example, Kafka was Jewish, and during his life, he felt that that's something that definitely alienated him from the rest of his, his family and the rest of his friends and people in society. He also lived in a very small apartment and in this story we see that the artist is going to be locked up in a cage so that's kind of something as well and then the artist in this story also is going to have a side job that he didn't really particularly like and Kafka had to do the same thing in order to help support his family he had to get a desk job in an office which he despised because he himself wanted to be a writer and an artist as we move into plot we have third person narration the world is beginning to see a decline in professional fasting. We follow a young hunger artist who is wrapped up in his performance of non-eating. His manage, the impresario, comes to stop the hunger artist's 40-day fast. Why? Well, 40 days is just about as much time the public will endure <laughs> before becoming <laughs> tired of his show and moving on. As he leaves the cage, the hunger artist is irritated that he had to stop. 
The impresario gently shakes him in front of others to sell that his legs must be so weak from not eating, and even excuses the hunger artist's insults thrown at the crowd as uh, brings, he, he brings him down to eat to, to cheer him up, quote-unquote. As time winds down, so does the crowd's interest in marathon starving. They move on to watch other things. The hunger artist joins a circus to perform and is moved to a cage by animals. He becomes a sideshow, and parents even have to explain to their children what the heck this man is doing. (laughs) The hunger artist continues to wither away. Soon people forget about him and don't even see him in the straw. One day, a supervisor thinks the cage is empty as the hunger artist lays there buried under the straw dying. The artist tells a worker he never eats as he never found a food that he liked and dies. (gasps) They they decide to put a panther in there that eats and is happy and plot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if if this was really supposed to be that funny, but I found it hysterical at certain points. Time after time, I'm just like, yeah, is this dark comedy or am I just a terrible person interpreting it these specific ways? But I found myself chuckling several times (laughs) as well. Absolutely. Now, what's interesting about The Hunger Artist, if you ask me, is he is a guy, he's not just doing this for a job, right? He's not like, I'm starving because starving is the only thing I'm good at and I get paid for it. (laughs) He legitimately believes in his craft and wants to push the boundaries of starving himself even further than quote-unquote 40 days, which is what the impresario limits him to. I would argue he is a guy that is in this for the craft of it. And I can kind of relate to that, right? I mean, we sacrifice a little bit of our time with our families as we make videos here, but would we go that far? Well, and and comparing it to us is a good idea too, right? Because before we did this for YouTube, we literally just did this. We, we just called each other. We read the same stories and we talk about it. So what we're doing is literally what we do without it, with, without YouTube in a sense. But here we are coming onto YouTube because someone said, hey, why don't you guys record these chats and put them up like some people may be interested in it. So here we are taking what is a passion, what, what is art arguably to us, like this this is fun for us, and turning it into a commodity. We're We're turning it into ads or, or other like Patreon links and Ko-Fi where you could buy us coffee if you're looking to support this because this is an expensive channel, right? But we are <laughs> commoditizing our product. We're commoditizing ourselves in a sense. And I can't help but kind of, I don't know if you felt like this when you were reading this. The whole time I could not stop thinking about social media where you have these people that are turning pictures or just, you know, social media outlets, how it was originally created, and then figuring out how to profiteer off of it in a sense, too. Like, I felt like there were some comparisons there. Yeah, for sure. I'm very perplexed because as I think about this in regards to us in this story, is it stop being art when you make money off of it? Because you have pointed out before that art in its truest form would almost be like a gift and you would be doing it for yourself, not for others. And we're trying to do this in of art form, but also in a teaching method. So which is it? Has it lost its true identity as we have metamorphosed this channel into something new? No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> so Kafka is kind of doing us uh, kind of doing us dirty here, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, so let's think of it this way. This hunger artist 
what is the currency that he's trying to attract in a sense? It's attention. Yeah. It's eyeballs, right? And is that not the same thing that people do on Instagram, on YouTube? You are trying to get eyeballs to you. And once you have enough eyeballs, that's when you can start commoditizing it, right? Bringing in products, having people pay to see certain things. And that's exactly what kind of is happening here. But but the hunger artist isn't in it for that. He needs to survive. So I don't know if it's as soon as you accept money. It's I mean, well, as soon as you accept money, it has to be a commodity, right? But does that change the purest element of it being art? It can be art and be sold, I would think. And the impresario is the one that I think is pushing the hunger artist, right? There is a max time. Well, we got to talk about that too, because 40, every time I hear the number 40, it makes me think of the Bible, right? You talked about how he's religious, and we know that 40 in the Bible represents what? The 40 days for Jesus going into the desert and fasting to beat the devil. Well, well, there's tons of 40s too, like rain 40 days, 49. Usually that's the one people think of is, is Jesus in the desert. Yeah, agreed, agreed. But also, people have pointed out that sometimes 40 just means an indefinite period of time. It doesn't actually mean 40 days and 40 nights in biblical sense. Sometimes it just means a very long time. Fair. So here he is being stopped in his art, right? His his, Which is maybe a form of expression. I think to him, he does drive off of these views. Like the the, the, the currency of eyeballs is something he liked. He liked the people that pressed up close against those bars right but it wasn't for money it it was the idea that people were almost abhorred by it because like when he talks to the uh who is it the the zoo guy at the end he says do you admire me and the guy's like yeah sure i admire he's like you shouldn't like he (laughs) know he knows it's not something you really ought to do but he feeds off of it in a sense too but it's not for the money the money is the impresario right who's pushing him and trying to get the eyeballs and sale tickets and stuff like that and then when he can't make that money anymore he goes to the zoo and then it's the zookeeper who's trying to make money and when he's not making money anymore and he's like disappeared and withered away to nothing underneath the straw uh, he doesn't even know that he's in there he's like why is this cage empty I think it comes down a lot to intent, right? His intention was pure, and it's these others that are trying to manipulate it. It's these other people that are trying to use him for their own personal benefits. And he is trying to almost just make like a political statement of this is something that I want to give to the people. This is something I feel like I need to do. Have you ever heard of the show Fake Famous? No, I haven't. It's this show that my wife and I watched, and what they did is they took three people. It sounds like a guilty cre- pleasure. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. And they put they created these Instagram accounts, hired professional photographers, scheduled like you know photo opportunities for them to basically blow up these people and to become fake influencers. And when I say oh, fake, oh okay, I, I mean he was literally buying bot accounts to comment on their video or their. Um, photos to like their photos and to also follow them so they started building up these followers but along with the clout of all of these bots were actual people they were actually getting some currency of eyeballs but that's not what was success for these fake influencers what was success was when they could sell something like when they can get on there and like a company would say come into my gym for a free workout so that you know you can promote my space mm. and you had people that were all about it right, that are like, okay, let's commoditize this, right? Like, they were willing to take that step to turn 
to your earlier question of when does art become a commodity, when you're doing it based on, I think, the output of sales, I think is you have to consider that a turn at some point, right? And you even have like some people that just dropped out of the competition. They're like, this is so fake. And it's just like, dude, you signed up to be this fake influencer for a show called Fake Famous. Well, they probably didn't know the name of the show at the time. But you could see to them, to them, the art, their pictures, who they were and how they were expressing themselves could not come off as inauthentic. They couldn't just stop, you know, in the hunger artist case at 40 days. They as artists must express them true selves on social media and not buy these likes and followers. They must keep going and press their art of expressing themselves instead of commoditizing it and try to sell things to this competition. And I can't help but feel like that has to be in the conversation here with the impresario pushing this guy and deciding how to commoditize his art. Yeah, I think that happens more often than we probably think in modern times, comparing this to social media, where you have a manager of a famous individual that is pushing him for endorsements and, hey, wear this sports brand or drink this drink or do this because it's going to make your image better and we can appeal to these certain people. And they're like, I just want to play this game or I just want to sing or I just want to, you know, do this. And we have, you know, this this in outside influence that is really changing their motivations. And eventually it kind of comes down to possibly being corrupted by that because money and, and comes along with all of those eyeballs. That's very tempting, I think, to a lot of people, whether it's fake or real. Well, and to your point, like maybe when you're a basketball star, they're like, OK, just wear these shoes. We'll pay you to wear these shoes. And like maybe shoes aren't as big of a deal to you. So it's not a big deal. OK. You know, I'll, I'll quote unquote sell out to, to wear these shoes, right? But at what point are you like, well, that's not too inconvenient, but convenient enough? Like, when does it change your decisions in a sense of where you are in it for the commodity of it instead of truly just playing the basketball or the sport that you wanted to do, right? And I guess here's a good question, too. I feel like we've kind of maybe, maybe we've painted the impresario or the zookeeper as too, like, capitalist or, like, I don't know, maybe we came off as they were too evil, but are they really the bad guys or are they the ones that are just taking advantage of what the public wants and how they express what they want, right? The hunger artist only exists as long as people are willing to pay currency for it, eyeballs for it, potentially invest into things. Is it really the money manager's impresario's fault or are we, society at fault, for willing to want to watch a form of suffering in this case? Is art suffering in this case? I think that's what it comes down to, this kind of maybe the point of the story of where is the line that you cross that is no longer a valid way of entertainment of when you have gone to a point of no return. This guy gives up his life for this, and what does he have to show for it? Really nothing. What impact does he make? Nothing. Because when we come to the end of the story, people are excited to see the panther and they don't even realize <laughs> that there was a dead guy there a few minutes ago. And I, I love the end of the juxtaposition of like you have this pain and suffering and next thing you know, you have this vital, strong panther chowing down and the people are like, oh, mommy, look, a panther. And you're like, what just happened? Like, 
Kafka, you just flipped me on my head here because I went from a very sad emotion to a very jovial emotion very quickly. And I think that that is something that happens in real life. Like once a star is done, once they're burnt out or they can't be cast anymore or they, they haven't had a, 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 a number one selling album in a long time kick them to the side and move on to the new thing. And that really does kind of emphasize what modern life is like, which isn't crazy that this was written nearly 100 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I hope we didn't come off as like we thought Franz Kafka was making a commentary on social media that didn't exist yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> Literature is always about how it impacts you today. And I think it's kind of interesting. He The Panther was just so dang funny to me. I don't know why. But maybe it was just because this guy was choosing to suffer, I guess, in a sense, like, you know, he didn't find the food that he wanted, like, he, he just couldn't find a way to be happy. And, and and we viewed it as a cage and a negative thing that someone was profiteering or forcing someone else to suffer. But as soon as we put that dang happy panther in the cage, and people were like, oh, I want to see a panther. And the panther's like, this is awesome. I get fed and I just get sit here all day. It's kind of the win-win transaction, as opposed to the transaction with the hunger artist was, I think he lost while society won in that cage that 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 profiteering off of the product doesn't have to force someone to lose is another way to view this ending it can be win-win a, a you know a positive transaction uh for both sides is kind of one of the ways that you could interpret the ending i agree with you i interpret it that way just uh, my thought process was a little bit different I thought, because I didn't know a lot about Kafka when I read this story, and I don't remember, to be honest, if I read Metamorphosis in high school or not. I probably did, but I might not have associated it with Franz Kafka. And after reading this story, I was very perplexed about a few items, so I went back and did some research on him. And to me, after doing that research, I think that it is a win-win in the sense that some people are happy in a certain situation, and other people are miserable. The hunger artist was miserable in the cage the panther is happy in the cage and i think that the 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 cage represented kafka's own personal life living in this tiny little apartment and that he was miserable there where other people are completely happy living in these small apartments where they don't have to worry about yard work and they don't have to worry about you know trying to uh, keep up with cleaning a huge house or anything some people are very content in those you know small confined spaces where he was not and i, I think that says a lot about us as individuals as kind of his commentary on society mm. Yeah, I can see that. And if don't rake me over the coals for this audience, we're doing this live, just a chat. I'm 80% sure when I read Metamorphosis two decades ago, I think the guy was a salesman. So maybe there's something to be said about how Kafka is picking people in the in the profession of profiteering in putting them into these very bizarre situations. I don't know. We would have to read a lot more Kafka for me to make a more definitive statement on that. But there's there's my breadcrumb for now for us to investigate. Speaking of breadcrumbs, uh, another thing that I found fascinating that I didn't understand why he had this, this fascination with food and where did he, why did he go to hunger? And I guess um, one of the theories is that Kafka himself was uh, diagnosed with tuberculosis and he was a very, very strict vegetarian. And towards the end of his life, he might've even gone very, very hardcore vegan because he was trying to cure himself of tuberculosis through eating a healthy diet. And ultimately that what does kill him. And so I think that as he's sick and he's trying to eat healthy himself, he's trying to have an outlet and, you know, talk about food and how important it is to stay healthy because there was no cure for tuberculosis at this time. Mm. 
Interesting. Interesting. I, I think it's worth us investing more Kafka works in the future. We'll leave a playlist down below for you to check out when we do get to them. Now, with that said, let's move into our very subjective wrap-up and ratings. And guys, if you enjoyed the talk and want to support us on Patreon, because we are commoditizing today's talk, <laughs> we will <laughs> leave a link to that in our Ko-Fi down below. Uh, Crypto, what are you going to rate this one, my man? I haven't done this in a long time. I'm going to give this actually two ratings. Uh, I'm going to give it a personal enjoyment rating, and I'm going to give it an analytical slash discussion rating. Don't do that too often, but I think this one warrants that because I didn't particularly enjoy this story. I had a few chuckles along the way, but it wasn't laugh out loud funny. It was just kind of like, oh, you know, I, I get a few of these moments. So my enjoyment mm-hmm. was maybe like a five and a half-ish besides those few chuckle points. This story was kind of mad to me. But our discussion and the analytical that you can pull out of this and how interesting Kafka was as a writer and an individual, I want to learn more about him. I got to give it like a 7.5. So maybe we were averaging out there in about six and a half, seven-ish, somewhere around in there. So there's different things to pull from. You may enjoy it, and that's fine on a personal level, but I think it's hard to argue that there's some good analytical here on all the different kind of points that we were able to on two different sides of the coin, but coming to the same agreement as we went through our discussion. And it's fascinating, too, that we can bring up this cop topic on ourselves, on social media, on Instagrammers, on TikTokers, like all these different ways that, you know, nobody knew was coming 100 years later, right? So I will give this one an overall rating of eight. I enjoyed the analyticals very much. And again, the just like you, I think the reading was maybe a little bit less, but I think uh, it's a solid score for our boy Kafka here. So guys, if you enjoy talks like this, I want you to hit that subscribe button so you can join us on future conversations. We post videos every Monday and Thursday. Una out. Peace.